God bless you. Go on, go on and speak up. I won't go back again. That's just not who I Lord, I'm a brand new man. I'm going free. I'm going free. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Through my shackles in the sea. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Jesus is my liberty. Oh, glory, glory, hallelujah. Through my shackles in the sea. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Jesus. Is my liberty, I'm going free. Praise God. God is good. Amen. Am I on? I'm not sure. I flipped it right. It's on? Okay. Well, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm sure glad you're here. Then turn and say this to him. I'm hungry. Will you take me out afterwards? I'm going to preach tonight on hindrance to prayer. You know, one of, one of the questions I've had in ministry over all the years is I've watched people, they're good people, and they love God, and they serve God, but a lot of them, they, when you listen to them, it seems their prayers are never answered. And yet the Bible said, and, and the word Jesus said that when we call that he hears us, and when he hears us, he gives us the desire of our heart. And so many times, but not in all cases, now listen to what I said, not in all cases, but many times there could be something in our life or not in our life that's hindering us from getting through to God. And I want to minister tonight on hindrance to prayer. How many knows that we're all kind of stingy or selfish at times? How many knows if, if somebody decides you're not raising your hand, just move over in case lightning comes and stripes and you don't get hit. But there's times when we pray, it's all about us, isn't it? Lord, I, I need this, or Lord, I don't want this to happen to me. And there's nothing wrong with praying for your needs, but how many knows prayers are more than just praying for what I want or don't want? And it's the opportunity for the church itself as we come together to pray, great things begin to happen. The Bible says if two agree it's touching anything, it'll be done. And so the devil understands the principle when God's people begin to pray, things begin to happen. Not just in the church, but to our own lives. How many knows that? People get healed, people get saved, people get delivered. All kinds of things begin to happen, but it's a result many times of people praying. I have some scripture in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Now this is a confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions that we have asked of him. A lot of times I've had people say to me over the years, how do I know the will of God? What's well, right here. 
It's clothed in these pages called the Bible. It explains to us not only the will of God, but God's desire for our lives and for our church and for our community. There's a scripture in the Bible that said, if you give, it'll be given to you. And so I was thinking about that scripture. It's also talking about finances or giving yourself in labor. But when you pray for other people, you get the benefit of that prayer. That God sees our concern for someone, that we're praying for them, encouraging them, and God in, in turn begins to bless our lives because we go beyond what we want or what we need and begin to minister to other people through prayer. Some of the great preachers in the history of times are people who prayed. We heard John tell about this. I've told about it. Alex has told about it, about a man who had all these orphans. And he had no money, and he prayed every need in. There was times when he set all the orphans around the table and set the table to eat, and there would be no food in the house. And he would begin to pray and begin to thank God that God would give a miracle. And as he would be praying, somebody would be knocking on the door bringing food to feed all those people. Now, as he was praying, he wasn't just praying for himself. He was praying for these young kids. And because he went beyond his own desire and his own need and began to pray for others, he benefited from that prayer as well. Because enough food came in not only to feed them, but to feed him as well. Prayer is a powerful tool. How many ever tried to pray in the phone ring? I mean, when, you, when the phone was working, it rang. Or somebody knocks on the door. How many ever got down to pray or sit down to pray or however you pray, and, and all of a sudden the thought comes in your mind, did I turn the stove off? And all of a sudden, while you're trying to pray, your mind is flooded with all kinds of things you need to do. I had a lady one time tell me, she said, when I pray, I keep a pencil and paper there. And I said, well, that's great when God speaks. She said, no, sometimes I'm thinking of what I got to do and I have to stop and write it down. And that's really true. How many of you have ever tried to pray and really get sincere and all of a sudden your mind is flooded with all kinds of things? The reason that happens is the enemy of our soul understands what would happen if we prayed. The Bible said these words in 1 John 3, verse 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing to him. The desperate need for our country tonight is prayer. The desperate need for our families tonight is prayer. The desperate need of the churches in Kingman tonight is people who will pray. When God's people begin to pray, everything is affected by those prayers. There was a man pastoring a church. His name was David Wilkerson. And he was praying and he happened to flip the TV on afterwards and seeing there were some young men uh, in New York City that was going before a judge 
And he felt so burdened after praying that he got in his car and drove to New York. When he got there, he was not able to help these men. But as he was praying for these men and praying for these needs, God began to use him in a way he never would dream would happen. And he began to minister to the gangs of New York, to the prostitutes, the alcoholics, and the drug addicts. Today we understand who David Wilkerson is and who he was. He's the one who started Teen Challenge that literally swept across America and the nations of the world. That was birthed in prayer. We, we've had a movie called The Cross and the Switchblade. David Wilkerson fit in New York terribly. He was a hick. And he's in New York City. And he doesn't look like the people in New York City. And he doesn't look like the people that can identify him in the gangs. And yet, because he prayed and because he was willing to do the will of God, and he left his wife and his kids back home to go there, God seen a person that would pray, and God really gave him a generation of people that came to the Lord, like Nikki Cruz. All because he prayed. And God used something to draw his attention to get him where he wanted him. And out of that tonight, there are still teen challenges. There are still people being delivered from drugs. There are still people that's converted and the gangs don't be gangs anymore. All because a man prayed. Therefore, the devil would like for us not to pray. How many knows that? Here's one of the hindrances when we pray, we're going to put it up here to look, unforgiveness. How many knows it's hard to pray when you won't forgive? Because when we pray, we say, we're praying for that devil, Lord, you know what they did to me, and, and they're a devil, and, and I can't get along with them, so Lord, either get them right or kill them. <laughs> and unforgiveness hinders everything. How many knows that? And so if we're going to touch God... We have to have the spirit like Jesus did and like when they prayed in the Bible and forgive them their trespasses and forgive us of ours. Forgiveness is really hard, isn't it? There are people in this building tonight, if we took time for you to testify, you could testify on what somebody did to you. As a result of that, you forgive them, but you're going to keep reminding them. And yet it hinders our prayer. Aren't you glad that when we prayed to Jesus, it was con not conditional. He said, I forgive you. Even though your sins caused me to have to leave heaven and come to the earth. And even though your rebellion and your lifestyle drove me to come down and become a sacrifice, I choose to forgive you. And when they said, you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, come off the cross. You've saved others, and you can save yourself. And yet, because he knew we'd need forgiveness, he would not come down so you and I could have eternal life. To have a spirit of Christ, we have to be forgiving. How many knows that? And so, the very people that Jesus prayed for crucified him. And yet... He prays the, one of the greatest prayers that's ever prayed 
in the history of the world. As he's hanging there between heaven and earth, he prays this prayer, Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they've done. And tonight, if we want our prayers answered, we got to forgive. How many knows that? All of us deal with that, don't we? And yet, Jesus is our example on how to pray. And even though those were a few words, and those didn't have all the verities in it, and all the prayers like people read, he just simply says, I forgive them. Father, you forgive them. And tonight, if we want our prayers answered, we need to ask God to help us to forgive people that we still carry and that have wronged us. Everybody wants their prayers answered. How many don't want your prayers answered? Maybe that's easier to ask. And so the Bible said when you pray, forgive those who've wronged you. And when we do that, God hears our prayers and God's answers our prayer. The second thing I want to look at tonight is unbelief. When you pray, you got to believe. I like kids. And there's a little girl on the third row in the black. And I told her, if you'll see me after church, I'm going to give you a card for in and out. And she believes. And she's going to be waiting on me. And she's probably thinking, shut up and hurry up. I want to go in and out. And I want to give it to her. And you know why? Because I told her, if you'll see me after church, I'll give you a card to in and out. You know what, folks? That's exactly what Jesus said. If you'll believe and you'll come to me with faith, I'll give it to you. Can we go back to our scripture? If you don't mind, turning back to our scripture here. We will look. Now, this is a confidence we have in God or him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask, we know we'll have the petitions that we have asked of him. See, we have confidence tonight that he hears us. He said, I must go back to my father. But I will make intercession for you. He said, I'm staying to the right hand of my father. And when you come to him, come in my name, and he will hear you. And if he hears you, he'll give you the desire of your heart. And so tonight, we need to believe. That's a good place, huh? Believe. We got to believe what the Bible said. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was wounded for our infirmities. And by his stripes, we're healed. And so he's our healer, he's our savior, he's our, always our provider, he's always there when we call upon him, he never forsakes us, he's always wanting to bless our lives, and when we pray, and when the devil says, well, he won't answer that prayer, or he's, why would he give that to you, because he loves you and me, and he said, if we'll believe, all things are possible to them that believe. So you have to pray believing. Now I've had people say to me over the years, well, I, if it's his will. Well, we know his will. We read it. How many, if you want to know the Lord's will, it's called, it, it's called the Bible. And if you'll read that, whatever it says is true. 
If he says he'll bless you, that means he's going to bless you. If he says he'll never leave you, that means he'll never leave you. If he says, I'll make a way when there's no way, he'll make a way. How many knows that? And so tonight we have confidence when we pray that knowing his will, as we pray in his will, he's going to meet that very need that we have. I want you to look at the third thing, sin. You know, sin's a terrible thing, isn't it? Listen to this verse in Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. Behold, that Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear us. But our iniquities sometimes have separated between you and your God, and your sins has hid his face from you, and he can't hear you. When we pray, we need to deal with our sin if we sin. We need to ask forgiveness of our sins. How many knows? He said, if we ask, he'll forgive us. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. And so if there is something in our life, we don't have to do penance and we don't have to get on our knees and crawl up the mountain to the wall of pies, but we can come to him and ask him to forgive us. And when he forgives us, we have the confidence that our sins are covered by the blood. Therefore, we come into his presence knowing that we're in his presence, knowing that he hears us, and knowing that he wants and will meet every need we have. Prayer. I'm waiting for the iPhone to pray for us. That's coming, folks. You just speak your iPhone. Can you pray a prayer? Okay, dear Lord. We're, we're in a generation where it's going to do everything for you. The problem is the iPhone can't have an experience with Christ. That's the problem. He didn't die for your iPad or your iPhone or your computer, but he died for you and me. And he said, I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And he said to me and said to you and said to us, if you got a problem, bring it to me. I know when my kids grew up, I, if I would have ever said to Tim, if you need something, just come to me, he would have been coming to me all day long. But he didn't, he never come to me and said, Dad, are you sure you're my dad? Or, or Dad, uh, does Mom really love me? Or he didn't say, can you afford it? He just asked and had confidence that somehow, because I cared for him, I would do all I could to give him what he needed. You've heard me tell the story. I bought more pedals for a guitar player, and I couldn't even tune a guitar. I went and bought one when my wife got married, when we got married. and I was going to learn, we started out singing together in revivals. See, you don't know what you've been missing. <laughs> and so I went and bought this guitar. And the guy in the store, you know, he tuned it, and he sang Amazing Grace, and it sounded beautiful. So I bought a case for the guitar and took it home, and 
started to tune it, and about an hour I got discouraged and took it back. That's why they don't want me to play. But I've bought guitars. I bought Les Pauls, and I can't tune it. I don't know one note from another, but I bought them. And I bought pedals and paid prices for a piece of metal like these up here. Except they weren't all in one. I had to buy 23 of them to get everything he wanted. And I probably could step on that thing and make a noise. But you won't want to hear it. But I bought pedals. I bought guitar strings. My middle name is Harry Strings Hills. I bought so many strings for guitars that I could have stringed them to the moon and back, it seems. But I can't play it. I don't even know how to put a string on a guitar. If I did, I'd probably break the guitar. I'd tighten the whole thing too tight. But the reason I bought those things is that when I had the boy, I wanted to meet every need he had. And then sometimes even the wants that he didn't need. And you know, that's how God is for you and me tonight. He wants to bless you. And he wants to bless me. That's why he said, call upon me. He wants you in prayer to come to him. And express to him what you're going through and what you're feeling and what your need is. And he wants you to call upon him and say, Lord, I want you to use my life. And I want to become all you want me to be. And the Bible said he'll hear those prayers and he will come and answer those prayers in our life. But if there's sin in our life, we have to deal with it. We have to deal with it. This last thing I want to bring out, it's revolutionary. Don't put it up yet. Oh, you already did. If I would have said, what's the worst thing that hinder your prayers? Somebody would say, getting drunk. Getting high. But here's what it is. Show them. Not praying. Failing to pray. See, if Jesus said these words, and he did. You can come to my Father in my name, and he will hear you. Then, that means he wants you to pray, doesn't it? And he gives us the opportunity to use his name. Now, I can't come in my name because my righteousness is as filthy rags. My sins had separated me from God, and all of ours have. Can we say amen to that? But Jesus said you can come to the Father in my name. And he will hear you, and he will meet your need. But people go through life, sometimes church people go through crisis and things, and they want God to just come down and touch them, but they don't pray. And the number one thing that hinders God moving and doing is we don't pray like we should pray. Now, I'm not saying you pray an hour, you pray two hours, you pray a month. That's not what I'm talking about. You just need to pray. You need to talk to God. You need to come in his presence according to what his word says. And say, Lord, you said by your stripes I'm healed. I'm going to believe you. I choose to believe that. 
You said if I bring the tithe and give an offering that you'll open the windows of heaven. And I'm going to believe that because you said it. And you come in there and you pray to him and quote what he has said and claim the promise he has. He said in the word of God, I'll give you the heathen for your inheritance. The church needs to begin to pray. God, we're, we're going to claim all these sinners in this town. And we're going to begin to pray. And you said you're going to give them to us and we're believing. And we're going to witness, and we're going to invite, and we're going to pray, and we're going to have a move of God of people getting converted and delivered from alcohol and drugs and all the other sins they're a part of. And when you come to him and say to him and quote to him what he's already promised you, Lord, this is my promise, this is my inheritance, this is what you said, God will move and we'll see great and mighty things. The first time I ever prayed for somebody for healing. I never heard God said, you're going to heal somebody or I'm going to use you. But I read it in the Bible. It said, lay hands on the sick. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. Now I know there's nothing magical about my hand. And I know my hand can't heal you. But I believe what God said if I lay hands on the sick that he will heal him and therefore I know it's not my hand I'm just doing what God said I'm quoting back to God you promised me if I lay hands on the sick you would heal him and God's healed people one of the greatest miracles and I just talked about this a few weeks ago I think of the Sunday I preached the weekend when I was pastoring in Nairobi Kenya in the slum area where they had nothing folks and when I say nothing, I mean nothing. No running water. No bathrooms. Open sewage running everywhere. Sleeping on the ground. Kids having sores ulcerated on their arms because they didn't have 15 or 20 cents to buy some salve to put on it. These people lived in the worst conditions that I probably have ever seen. And one day God spoke to me, and I just use this, but... It's one of the best ways to explain this. And said, you need to preach that they need to bring the tithe into the church. Now, we had workers living on our grounds. We had to have guards 24 hours a day. Wycliffe and his wife lived in a little part of, we had a garage in the back. There was a little one-room apartment. Not like you think. It was an African one-room apartment. And I knew what they ate every day. They had two pieces of bread for breakfast. They had any extra money, they put margarine on it, and they drink hot tea. For lunch, they had two pieces of bread. And if they had enough money, they put margarine on it, and they'd have hot tea. In the evening, they would make sakuma wiki. That's something out of a green vegetable. And they'd make this soup stuff. And if they had extra money, they'd take a tomato and cut it up and put it in there. That was their meal. The average person in the slum area don't have meat. They couldn't afford it. Didn't have the money. And so when God told me to preach on tithing, I was grieving. I think, I cannot tell these people to bring God a tithe. They don't even have enough money to eat. And I remember laying in darkness of our house. Is that the rats was running over our heads. We could hear them running back and forth. And I'm laying there in that night, just staring at the ceiling. 
and thinking, how in the world can I stand up and tell these poor people that have nothing when I've got everything compared to them? They got to do it. And God spoke to me, folks, not in a voice, but he spoke to me. He said, you mean I'm not the same God that I bless America, that I cannot bless these people? What do you say to that? So I remember Sunday preaching that sermon with almost feeling guilty. The devil's just tormenting me at preach. How can you do this to these people? Their kids won't eat. They don't have medicine. How can you do this to these people? But I preached on it, challenged them to begin to bring God a tithe, 10% of everything they made. Now, they're in the slums because they don't make enough to live in any housing. But I preached it. And I remember we had this one guy, Johnny O'No, I can't think of his name, but he used to dance around the front all the time, get happy. And he had five kids. And I watched him after I preached come up to my interpreter and give him the money in his hand to that, knowing that he wouldn't have bread for his children that night or anything else. I go back to church the next day, and he's there waiting on me. And I dread what he might say to me. Because I know he took his food money for his kids, that he was trying to buy maybe a few tomatoes or another loaf of bread. And he sees me coming, I think, oh, no. And he's all excited. And he can't speak English, so he stood there. And Paul McBean says, he wants you to know that he paid the tithe like you preached on on the way home. He found 100 shillings laying on the ground. And he got so excited... And all of a sudden, people begin to come to Paul, and Paul began to come to me. And one girl that helped us with the offering to help sort it, Paul came to me and said, she's given 40%. You've got to talk to her. She can't afford to give that kind of money. She lived in the slums. So I told Paul to bring her in, and I was talking to her. And she said, oh, <laughs> you don't even hear this one. You don't bleed, do you, Pastor? And I said, what? She said, I gave 40 prisons. I thought of 10% work. I'll just give 40. She said, I got more money than I've ever had. And God has blessed me. And this is the one that when you heard me preach, they put an application in to get a government job, and they had a stack, and they put hers on the bottom because she didn't qualify, no education, never done that before. And so after she started tithing, she told the people, put it on there. God's going to give me the job. And then she tells me, I gave them your phone number when they called to give me the job. And our phone never worked. You heard me tell the story. You went across the road, through a bush, through a fence, over this, in the tree. It never worked. And if it did work, we'd have a head-on collision and join out to try to answer it when it worked. I would go to the phone company and say, my phone don't work. And they'd say, okay, we'll come out. Can we put the ladders on top of your car? The phone company was a, one of those steel trailers, shipping trailers, and they had the wires in it. It was something like you never believe. But she believed the Word of God. <laughs> She's more spiritual than me. I'm telling you, think about it, 40%. I told her 10. So I was trying to explain to her that you're giving too much. And she looks at me and says, so you don't believe? 
And so, I mean, a young girl. So she puts the application in, and sure enough, my phone rings. And you all heard me talk when I preached that weekend. I preached about she went in and that receptionist in that government building said, it's not right. I don't know why they called you, but they wanted to talk to you. And she went in the main office and the guy looked at her and said, I don't know why I called you in. You don't qualify. You've never done it before. You don't have the education, but I have to give you this job. You know what happened to her? She just believed. And she gave that money, and she told me later I began to thank God for the job she's going to give me. And she said, I, I knew they'd call you. And you know what it is? She just believed that God, when you prayed, heard you. He heard you. But it's so easy to just give up and not pray and say, never happened. What if it don't happen? There ain't no sense praying about it. I prayed before. It didn't happen. It won't happen now. Well, I want to tell you something. You don't quit praying. You keep praying. Because the reason the devil fights prayer so hard, it's one of the hardest things we do. Singing's easier than praying. Coming to church is easier than praying. Isn't that true? But the devil knows when you pray, Heaven is turned loose in your situation. And heaven's turned loose in this city. And heaven can be turned loose in a nation. And things begin to happen when people pray. There were two ladies in Wilmore, Kentucky. This would have been, see, Tim's 39. It would have been about 35 years ago. They prayed four years. They got up every morning and prayed four years for the students at Asbury College. That God would begin to say, there was kids that would go there. Their parents would send there because it's a Christian school. A lot of them were not Christians. A lot of them really didn't want to be there. Their parents sent them there. They began to pray, and God would move on that campus. One morning, they had chapel every day they had to go to. They had the old wooden seats, like a theater, and they had a balcony. They had over a 1,000 students there. One guy got kicked out because of took a big can of lard and greased every seat. And when the kids went in to sit down, they was all sliding off on the floor. They threw him out of school. He failed two subjects. They kicked, let him come back, and they kicked him out for that. His parents begged, can you let him come one more time? He needs Christ. Can he come one more time? So they let him in on probation. That morning of chapel, the Spirit of God began to fall on that young man. He gets up. He was in the balcony. They were, had a sign. So he, he comes all the way down the steps and walks to the front and said, I want to say something. They had normally not let anybody say anything and interrupt a chapel service. They had his spare time. And he said, you know, I've been kicked out of here three times. I'm due to graduate this year, but I cheated on every test. I want to repent. I'm willing to start over if you'll forgive me. The president, not the president, but his a Bible teacher went up and grabbed him. They get to weep. Students from everywhere begin to get out of their seats and come to the altar, and the altar's full of kids weeping, getting right with God. Professor, and I got, you can get this online. You can watch it. A professor got up and said, I want all the students, I want you to forgive me. I can't stand none of you. 
No, he did. He said, I'm just doing this for a job. And he said, I want to repent. I want you kids to forgive me. I want to be right with God. It started out at chapel. And that day they were going to get get dismissed at 11.45 to go to lunch. Prepared food for all those kids. And nobody left the chapel. They wouldn't leave. The power of God was strong. It fell upon that school. That night they prepared food. Nobody went and ate. Now you know it's a revival and people don't eat. And those kids never left the chapel. For nine days, that chapel was full of people. I heard about it. I got in my car. We drove there. When I got there, there was big steps going up to that chapel. All these steps. And there was nothing but shoes on those steps. When I went, nobody had their shoes on because it was holy ground. People were coming, getting saved. They were calling from around the world. Can you send a student this weekend to our church and tell us what's going on. Everywhere they went, revival broke out. And people didn't get saved. And churches were turned upside down. They sent the television stations from Louisville, WHS and WAVE-TV to film it. They said, you can film it, but you got to do it from the balcony. We don't want you to interrupt the service. Well, the cameraman's filming it, gets under conviction, Leaves the camera running and goes to the altar. Begins to weep. He got saved. Folks, that revival went around the world because two women, for years, every day met together and began to pray not for themselves but for sinners and that God would move upon a university. History was written in that time. You can go online and pull up the Asbury Revival and you'll see it. It was in Wilmore, Kentucky. All because two little ladies believed that God said, when you pray, I'll answer you, and they didn't quit praying. What would happen in Kingman if all of us did that? We begin to pray for our city and our schools and our youth and for you old people. I mean, Joni says, don't say old people, you are one. But we, we begin to pray for souls. I believe we can have a Holy Ghost revival where you don't have to entertain where people are coming to get right with God. Our nation needs a move of God more than we need anything else. If my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven and I can heal their land. Folks, we need a Holy Ghost move of God tonight. We need to move God in Kingman, Arizona. We need to move God in our own lives. Can you say amen? amen? And we need God to breathe on our church to where people will be driving by and the Holy Ghost will draw them into here and change their life. This day, it's been almost 40 years since that revival, I believe, or longer. I can't remember exactly the year. My wife probably can't. But to this day, people are still affected. They're still talking about it. But it only happened. It didn't happen because they planned it. Because they had planned meetings and nothing happened. You can plan a meeting. It's only a meeting. But somebody prayed. Two little ladies prayed. They laid hold hands, laid hold of the horns of the altar. And the one person in the chapel that was least likely to ever succeed gets out of his seat and repents and said, I want to start over. I'm ready to graduate, but I cheated. I lied. 
and I want to repent, and I want to start all over and get my heart right with God. If my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray, I'll hear from heaven. Let's bow our heads. Prayer. Nothing's more important than to pray. That's our opportunity to talk to God. He talks to us through his word. He talks to us through sermons, Bible classes. He speaks to us. But he gives us a privilege to come into his presence. And when we come into his presence, things happen. And Jesus gives us rights. It would be like Donald Trump say, here's my checkbook. And you can write a check and buy anything you wanted. And I want to tell you something, you could probably buy anything you wanted because he's a billionaire. And you wouldn't say, I hope there's money in there. You'd say, give me the checkbook. Give me the checkbook. And you'd go and you'd write and you'd believe for something that you could never have on your own. Well, God gave us a checkbook. It's called the name of Jesus. When you come in my presence, come in my name. And you, I'll hear you. And I'll give you the desires of your heart. Is anybody here tonight would just be honest and say, Pastor Hills, I'm not even a Christian. I want to be honest tonight. My heart's not right with God. I'm in sin. But I want to be a Christian. I want my sins forgiven. I want to live for God. And you'd lift your hand and say, pray for me. Anybody across this building, anywhere, quickly. Okay, I want everybody to look at me. We need to pray. We could... We could print up a prayer list and have somebody take an hour here and an hour here and an hour, and we could surround the clock. This church is big enough to do that. But we got to pray. All of us have to pray. And we all have to believe that it's not only will of God for Praise Chapel to be here, it's will of God for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. He said, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Might as well be us. Why not? It's a promise. But it's not a promise unless we claim it and begin to come before his throne and ask him for a mighty outpouring. And say, Lord, you said it. We want it. And Lord, give this church a revival and everybody here all say, and begin it in me. Amen. Touch me. Set me on fire and let people come and see me burn. But Lord, I want to be what you want me to be. And if we'll begin to pray, God will do great and mighty things. That's why we have a prayer team. They're coming. Any needs you might have, they're going to pray and they're going to believe God. God bless all of you. Amen.